Hello, everybody. Welcome to the XYZ Experiment Podcast. My name is Dash and I am your Gen Y or millennial today. And with me today is also our Gen Z, Amelia. And today I'm very excited to be chatting to my friend, Tess. Hello, Tess. Hello, Dash. (laughs) How are you today? I'm good. I'm raring to go. Yay. Um, So, Tess, I wonder, to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I was born in New Jersey in the U.S. in 1952, which makes me 71 years old this year. Um, I have four siblings, a brother and three sisters. Um, I have a mother who's still alive, who's turning 99 this year. Um, And we were in, uh, my father was in the uh, diplomatic service with the American government when I was a kid. So my two younger sisters were born in Germany and uh, we traveled around Europe quite a bit and landed back in the States when he left the foreign service. I don't know, I guess I was in fifth grade and lived in the U.S since then and as I grew up and matured into the most beautiful wonderful person that I am (laughs) I uh, spread my wings I was a bit of a rebel and uh, ran away from home and did all kinds of crazy things had many adventures and moved to New York and when I was in New York I worked for an alcohol and drug company called Odyssey House I don't know if you've heard of Odyssey House it's a rehab residential rehab program that's all over the world now and that's where I met my husband and um, we fell massively in love got married and he said come back to he's Australian he said come back to Australia with me it's such a beautiful country it's a wonderful country education is free everything's free socialized medicine I said oh my god what kind of country is this and I said all right let's go we came to we went to Sydney, I think. And oh, yes, because I transferred with Odyssey House and went to work in Odyssey House in Sydney. And um, then we decided, oh, I had a, my daughter there. And then we decided to go back to the US. I can't remember why to live. And after, oh, maybe 18 months, it became quite apparent that it wasn't the US that I remembered. And we had gone back to Washington, D.C., which is where I was from. And at that time, it was the murder capital of the world. And everybody hated everybody. And I thought, oh, my God, this is awful. Let's go back to Australia. And we went back to Australia. um, And I had had my son at that point in the U.S. He was only a few months old. And we moved back to Melbourne, where his parents were living. And... um, it just kind of went from there and we had different jobs and the kids grew up. We lived in the suburbs. It was everything that I never thought I would ever do. Um, the, we lived in the same house for 20 years and I had moved all over the world by the time I was, I don't know, 10. So it was very different, very old fashioned to me, very, um, I won't say conservative, but very suburban. There's a lot for us to explore in your story just then, so we might unpack some of that. But before we do that, can I ask, so you just said you're 71. So what generation do you belong to, Tess? Well, of course, I'm going to tell you I belong to the best generation, which (laughs) is baby boomers. And 
I'm sure most baby boomers will say that. And it's usually I say it as a joke because I have millennial children and my son especially, especially always tells me how baby boomers have ruined the world. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold Baby boomers have ruined the world. Tell oh, me, yes. tell me why he thinks you've ruined the world. Um, the economy is shit. The environment is shit. Education, nobody can, you know, pay for their education anymore. There are no jobs anymore. Um, if baby boomers didn't want to have investment properties, then, you know, millennials could buy property, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff that um, is said very often. And I don't actually totally disagree, but um, I, I um, don't think we're the cause of all of the world's woes. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, we've just talked about how um, the younger generations blame the boomers, but what would you then say are some of the good characteristics or that you feel are the good characteristics you have as being a boomer? Uh, I'm very optimistic. And as I've read about the different generations and baby boomers, um, I've read a lot about how the baby boomer generation is generally very optimistic because we were born during a time of growth, economic growth and um, bigger families. And we were told you can do anything, anything is possible. So we were brought up in a fairly optimistic world where things were getting better because the war was over, World War II was over and um, everything was calming down and growing. The economy was growing, you could get a good job and things like that. But of course, that's from my perspective as a white middle-class person. And there were uh, many minorities, especially African-Americans who didn't have that experience. They may have felt the fringes of it, but it's hard to generalize across, you know, millions and millions and millions of people. So I'm speaking from my perspective. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, a two-parent home where they never seemed to argue. It was kind of like Father Knows Best, you know, that old TV show where everything was roses and French toast for breakfast and mom stayed home and everybody <laughs> loved each other. There were no problems. You know, that's how my family was raised in that generation. And um, it was it's led to me being very optimistic. Whenever, whenever I approach anything, I always think, oh, what's the best outcome from this? Or if something bad happens, I think, hmm, well, it could have been worse if such and such happened. It's, I'm very optimistic in that regard. But my other best quality, which has gotten, uh, has been dampened down a bit since coming to Australia, is that I am hugely competitive. So you noticed I said, oh yes, we're the best generation because everything has to be the best for me. I have to be at the top. I have to, everything has to be, I'm the best. Everything is the best. When my kids were in school, I'd say, you have to be have the best grades. And my husband would say, well, why do they have to have the best grades? I said, because they do. This is just an ingrained thing of being competitive. But so when you say <laughs> that dampened down when you came to Australia, do you feel like that's more of an American thing? I think, uh, I think being vocal about it, is very American. Mm. Americans love to talk and promote themselves. Australians don't necessarily do that. Um, I mean, when I've gone, just as an example, when I've gone to conferences, 
in American conferences, you have people on stage who sound like they're selling steak knives. And in Australia, you have people on stage who sound like um, it's painful for them to talk to you sometimes. And they're just trying to give you information and knowledge. Big difference. So I learned um, to be less um, vocal about how good I think I am. <laughs> I Do you guess. think like the tall poppy syndrome of Australian culture sort of influence that for you and wh why do you think Australia has that tall poppy syndrome compared to America that's so based on like that real extroversion like to succeed is to be an extrovert yeah I, I that's a really good question Amelia because when I first came here I was surprised by this tall poppy syndrome because as you would know in the U.S. if you're a billionaire and you know you run a fantastic company you're idolized how mm. else could some jerk off like trump become president you know he said oh i'm a billionaire i've had all these wonderful companies i've been on tv oh that right there is like the best thing in the world to be on tv <laughs> and uh people were like okay you can be our president then it's just idiotic whereas over here there's it's less well i think what i've observed is it's less class conscious and if somebody tries to get too big you know for their riches as they used to say it's like okay yeah we're going to rip you down now buddy because you don't deserve that so that was also the first time i heard has tickets on himself i thought what the hell does that mean has tickets on himself so i had to have somebody explain that to me what does it mean tess to me it means that you think you're better than you are yeah I was going to say, I've heard that phrase quite a lot about having tickets on yourself as an Australian. Yeah. But the thing is, is sometimes the people deserve those tickets. Just for some reason in Australia, when people are really successful, uh, you know, we're trying to tell them they don't deserve it, but they do. Yeah. <laughs> they do deserve it. It's just, I don't know whether we're jealous or what it is, but it's just I fascinating. Agree they it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. just fascinating. Yeah. People are often very quick to point at baby boomers and say, oh, you've ruined everything. But for me, when I look at the era they come from, there was a lot of really big leaps for women. Um, and I think that would have been such an interesting time because like the contraceptive pill and like women's rights, like there was, you, you guys were massive pioneers for that. And I think that's, we take that for granted a lot. At least I feel like within my generation, it's a given, but it hasn't always been that way. I totally agree with you that we did a lot of great work. I remember going to um, demonstrations and, uh, you know, screaming and yelling and railing against the man. You know, the man was bad and the man this and um, um, the pill, when the pill came out, it, that's when... I think the whole sexual revolution in the US, many Western world countries happened and people felt there was this wonderful, especially women, this wonderful sense of freedom. Um, they could have all the sex they want without having to worry about getting pregnant. So yeah, and then when the, when the Me Too movement started, I don't know whether you've noticed, but um, many of the women who were baby boomer age have come out and said how difficult it was for them to reconcile um, how they were treated with their own perspectives on 
uh, feeling, I won't say uh, emancipated, but um, freer as a female to live and work and compete in the man's world, things like that. And it's true because we were brought up, even though baby boomers are different to earlier generations where the early, like my mother, she was the second person in the household. You know, the main person was the father and everybody did what the father said. And we had very strict upbringings and she went along with it. Um, and so I sort of was brought up in a way thinking that's what we were supposed to be like. But um, as I matured, even just into a teenager, I, I thought that's not how I'm going to be. So then when I was in relationships, I was like, oh, I'm kind of torn between, am I just supposed to say, yeah, okay, whatever you say, if that's what you want to my partner, because I'm heterosexual, to my husband, or would I say, no, I disagree and we're going to have a fight about this now. It's a, it's a real conflict. I still have that conflict. And I've said to my millennial daughter sometimes, why don't you just go along with that? And she says, because I don't want to. Wow. And I think to myself, but wait a minute, you don't want to. Is that more important than just letting it go? And she says, yes, it is. But because of you, the baby boomers, she can do that. It's because of your generation that she I know. She can I'm do proud that. of that. Yeah. I'm proud of my children. I remember when we were watching TV once when, I don't know, she might have been 10 years old, and as the movie credits ran and she was reading the credits. I don't know why, because she's very intelligent, of course. She read the credits and she said, hey, mom. There was a female director. That's great. I thought, oh, my God, I've taught you well, my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) My job is done. (laughs) So I thought that was a great question, Amelia. And I just want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of the context of your parents and how you were parented. And just wondering if you could reflect a little bit, what was it like to be parented by the greatest generation? Who are the greatest generation? Um, and maybe how that shaped you as a baby boomer. Um, and then if you could go on to talk about how you've then parented in light of that. Sure. I actually originally thought my parents were from the silent generation, but when I went back and looked at their um, dates of birth, they're um, more towards the end of what's called the greatest generation. Um, And my father was born in 1916, And my mother was born in 1924. And so I think the greatest generation is the generation that um, went to and participated in World War II and the Great Depression, things like that. My father was in World War II. He was in the Air Force. He was in a prisoner of war camp in Germany for a number of years. I'm sure that in hindsight, because I had no idea about this stuff as a younger person, but um, I'm sure that affected him terribly. He saw a lot of bad, bad stuff. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if he actually had PTSD and nobody ever knew about it because it wasn't a thing back then. You know, you just sucked it up and dealt with it. So he was very, and he was also first generation American. So his parents came from Eastern Europe 
And the way he, he escaped from the prisoner of war camp and the way he did that was because he spoke fluent Polish and he pretended to be, a, he somehow got the clothes and pretended to be a farm worker. And he walked out with a bunch of farm workers that were in the, working in the prisoner of war camp. And so that's how he got out. So he was very um, first generation Eastern European, you know, mentality. And we were raised very authoritarianly, if that's a word. And I remember we weren't allowed to walk around the house barefoot and we had to dress for dinner. Wow. How's that? How odd is that? Every day. Ah, every day, yes. And when we sat down for dinner, we had to discuss something important. We weren't allowed just to talk about daily shit. We had to, I remember once he said, today we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell? And I also, I will say this. I'm the middle child in my family. I have an older brother and sister and two younger sisters. And I'm probably, uh, I turned out the most, I'll say, rebellious of everybody in that I um, really didn't. I pretended to be a good you know, respectful, obedient daughter, but I wasn't at all. Yeah. So I do thank my parents for helping me learn to be a really good liar. That, <laughs> that served me really well in the work world. I'll say that. Um, but so I was brought up very uh, strictly and, you know, I don't know what else to say about that. We were expected to be seen and not heard. Um, if there was a gathering of any sort with like a dinner type thing, we all sat at the little kids table and the adults all sat at the adults table and uh, we weren't supposed to bother them. And that's basically how it was. Don't bother us. Um, my mother also is from an Eastern European background um, and she um, thought education was the greatest thing in the world. And so we all had to be highly educated. It doesn't sound really very different to many um, first-generation people in a country where education is seen as the, the most valuable thing you can gain. And so we all went to university and, um, you know, we all passed that on to our children. So I remember when my daughter um, had a serious first boyfriend and she had just started, she was in first year at uni here. And she said, um, I'm going to drop out. I said, dropping out is not an option and you are going to continue. And she said, you can't tell me what to do. I said, yes, I can. And I am. And you are not dropping out. And she was like, okay. So she didn't drop out. So, I mean, thinking about you saying how strict and authoritarian and kind of, it sounds like it was a very structured household. Like there were very much rules of behavior and, and things that you had to do. How was your household as mum and your husband as dad different to that? Well, I had made a decision way before I ever had children that I would never be like my parents, ever. Um, and that I would listen to my children if I ever had them. I never expected to have kids. That's one thing. I just expected to be um, 
working my whole life. I would just be a career woman. I wouldn't have anything outside of my career. I liked working. Uh, it consumed me. I wanted to be the best at work. Uh, I wanted to be able to show other people they were idiots and how smart I was, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> Probably not other people aren't like that, but I because uh, I don't have a lot of time for stupid people. Mm. I know that sounds awful, but I just don't. And I write them off. If you're stupid, uh, you don't get a second chance with me. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, even though I, I can be really ruthless and mean, and I've been called a massive fish many times, uh, I'm also a real softy inside. Yeah, it comes from a good place. Yeah. And I would say of you, like, um, I have seen and heard you say ruthless things, but you always say it with a smile. And I don't know if it always comes across to the person you're being ruthless about that you are being ruthless. I know. And I learned that. I learned as long as I make a joke out of things, people won't get, usually won't get offended. Um, and I also learned it reinforces to me that the person I'm doing that does to, doesn't get it and they're just stupid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this vicious circle. I'm like, oh my God, Tess, give it a break. And so then I have to try to say to myself, Tess, you need to learn to be more compassionate and to be kinder. And so that's what I've been working on probably the last 10 years, to be kinder to people. What do you think changed? And there was that flip of the switch from going to be so career orientated to then deciding, hang on, I want to have, was it three children? Two. Two, two children. children. Yeah. What was that? Genesis? Um, well, I met my husband who, as I say, he's Australian and he really wanted to have children. Yeah. And so we had, we talked about that and I wouldn't say he really wanted to, he wanted to have children. And um, I said, oh, wow, really? Um, okay. And so I thought about that for a while. And then I, I remember saying to him, all right, well, let's give it a try. And he said, look, Tess, um, once we have one, we can't give it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no so returns said, policy on that one. <laughs> no returns. So I was like, all right, well, um, let's have one. What the hell? Let's see what happens. It was that kind of a happy-go-lucky. Okay. And um, I got pregnant. And... It wasn't the most joyful experience birth-wise. I don't, actually, I have come to realize that women who say, oh, I loved giving birth, it was wonderful, are lying <laughs> because it's disgusting and awful and very painful. And then a few years later, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. Let's have it, we'll have another one. But it took a couple of years to get over the whole experience. And then by the time I had decided to look at my PhD, my I was, because um, I think I was 33 and 36 when they were born. So I was already 50, 60, 59, 58, something like that, when I decided to do my PhD. And so they were either late teenagers or early teens or something like that yeah hmm. so it's not like they were little anymore yeah and but I never had that sense of 
I have to leave work and stay home and take care of my children. I never had that. And because I didn't have that, I had tremendous guilt about going to work, even though I felt, you know, work was the best thing. And at the time I was the primary um, well, breadwinner for the old fashioned term because my husband um, at that time was a naturopath and he worked from home and he saw um, clients, but it wasn't a full-time job or anything like that. Um, and I was like, I had a lot of guilt over not being there to see them, you know, take their first step and do all these things that society said was important that I had internalized, not things that were they important? I don't know, but other people said they were. So I thought, oh, well then that's important stuff that I'm missing out on. And I remember once ringing the um, kinda that my daughter went to because they had a father's night for um, fathers to come because they worked all day. And I remember calling up and said, look, I'm a mother, I work all day. Can I come to this father's night? This is really getting me angry. And they said, of course you can. Hmm. There's no issue. And I thought, damn, this is just my own anger about everything. <laughs> so I had a lot of guilt about that. But it wasn't um, an issue from a PhD, Dodge. Yeah. And, can, I, you know, can I just add something to that, just listening to you, because I'm the child of baby boomers. And oh. I just sort of, I actually want to congratulate you on going through that because I think by showing your children that you can do it and probably giving your children still a wonderful life and opportunities, because I know my own mother did who worked full time, that sets your kids up for success for themselves in the future because of the role model that you've been for them. Like, I know you feel guilt and I, I, I mm. get that, but like by showing your kids that you can do this and you can do that and you can still be a great parent... I just think it sets the kids up. I really do. So congratulations on that. I really think that's pretty amazing. Thank you, Fiona. That's really nice of you to say. And I'll just let you know that because I decided that I wasn't going to be like my parents, I was overly communicative with my children. And I forced them to talk to me all the time about every single thing ever. So just as an example, if they would go to school, when they'd go to school and they'd come home, and I'd say, what happened at school today? And they'd say, nothing. I'd say, look, I want you to tell me everything that happened from the minute you stepped out of the car and closed the door. And they'd be like, oh, my God, all right. And then they'd start telling me about. So they became very verbal, communicative people. And my other, my siblings' children aren't like that because they were, they didn't impress that on their kids as much. And because I was working, the house was always a mess. And uh, to escape the mess, it wasn't important for me actually to clean it up, but I had to escape it. So we'd go to the movies, <laughs> just to get, get out of this mess, we'd go to the movies. And um, the feedback I've gotten from my children as they're adults now is, it was really great having you different to the other mothers because um, our friends would come over and or we'd go to their house and their mother would hover around 
And the minute you put your glass down and you finish drinking it, they pick it up and take it away and wash it in the sink and all that kind of stuff. And they said, our friends would say, oh, it's really nice that um, your mom doesn't care about how messy the house is. And I thought, oh my God, that's really a backhanded compliment. (laughs) Things like that. And then because I forced them to talk to me all the time, we talked about everything in their lives. And one is my daughter is now a finance manager. She's an accountant at the university. And my son is a nearly successful actor in Sydney. Wow. And, you know, they tell me, oh, I'm so, my son, I'm so glad you brought me up on Aretha Franklin. I'm like, she's my favorite singer. Yeah. It's like that, you know. I feel like, you know, listening to you talk, you created a sense of fun in your household, even though there was probably a lot going on. And um, your kids potentially have a different relationship with you that is more based on fun and joy and and doing things together versus maybe some of those previous generations where the parental role was very much like I'm an authoritarian figure. What would your thoughts be on that? I think that's absolutely correct. I, I'm all for fun and we would do things that were fun. Like, you know, we'd go to amusement parks or we'd go to, I don't know, even just a picnic. And I, I have a lot of... Um, I don't know what it's called. I see the world as uh, wonderful and very, it's full of awe for me. And so we could go to a picnic and we could just sit down and watch ants. And I'd say, oh, wow, look at this ant. Look what it's doing. What do you think this ant is thinking about? Do you think I'm very curious as well? And so I tried to instill that in them too. And we'd watch people walk past and I'd say, now you see that woman over there who has the hat on I bet you and I'd make up this big story about her and they'd say oh you think and I'd say no (laughs) it's just a story I'm making up and so they became imaginative to whatever was in their personality so like my daughter is less imaginative she's she's an accountant she loves numbers and I always say to her I don't know where you got that from and my son is an actor and I earlier was a musician And so I can identify with that creative side and all that. Um, But yeah, I taught them to be, well, I helped bring out in them that they had curiosity about the world, that they questioned everything. I'd say, question everything. Don't take anything on face value. Mm. So yeah, that's my legacy for my children, that they question everything. What's your response when you hear people go, okay, boomer, like an insult? I think it's funny. <laughs> I, laugh, I laugh off a lot of stuff. Uh, um, I'm not the kind of person who you have to give a book to. Don't sweat the, don't sweat the little the small thing. stuff. The small stuff. Yeah, I'm not that kind of person. I sweat very little stuff. I am very. Um, I'm not concerned with uh, a lot of things. People, are, other people are concerned with. I laugh off and I disregard a lot of things as unimportant, whether they're important or not. I just say, oh, who cares? I can walk away from anything at any time and it doesn't bother me, which is a bit unusual for somebody who's competitive. Um, And I can just close the door. That's it. Close the door, which is good for mental health, but it's bad for relationships because in a relationship, once I close the door, I don't open that door again. And it's very easy for me to close the door. So, yeah. 
good and bad. Well, I'm very but, glad you haven't closed the door on me, Tess, because I love our friendship and I have loved learning from you. And I think you have taught me a huge amount. Like you are one of the, um, apart from my parents, obviously, like baby boomers in my life who, I don't know, you're just so much fun and joyful. And I really love the energy you bring um, oh. to our conversations and our, and our work together. Oh, thank you, Darsh. I, I love our relationship and friendship as well. I would never shut you off. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one of the idiots that you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds so judgmental. And I do have a very strong judgmental streak in me, which is funny because I got my master's in counseling. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is like? your most prominent trait if you see it in a person you're like no not interested um having a closed mind Mm. that really really gets to me um when I was in like 20s as a baby boomer um there was a lot it was like counterculture so there were a lot of recreational drugs around um there were a lot of parties a lot of sex there was a lot of sitting around, very high, talking about anything, you know, just bullshitting the night away. And you could do that with people who had the direct opposite view to you. And we'd all sit around and we'd argue and we'd talk and we'd laugh and we'd agree to disagree or we'd be able to change somebody's mind. It was fun talking to people who had different ideas and different ways of looking at the world and it opened your own mind up a bit. Mm. I find it really hard now that people can't talk to each other who have different points of view. You know, everybody is like, oh, if I don't agree with you, then um, you're going to either call me some horrible name or cancel me or um, write me out of your life or, People are living in their little bubbles. And I mean, I understand that for self-preservation, if you have to do that, but you lose a whole world out there that's different to you that can give you insights into new things. Yeah, so I don't like that at all in people. And (laughs) it's funny, instead of trying to communicate with somebody like that and do what I did years ago, write them off. (laughs) <laughs> I think but we're beyond help. It's so I think it's more and more prevalent as well within society because we live in these echo chambers of whatever we want to hear. And yeah. so when everyone's agreeing with you, you're like, well, I'm right. But there's no discourse of the color of opinion. And like it's a it's a rainbow, it's a spectrum. And it's one of those things where like where are we gonna end up as a society if we can't talk about that stuff? Yeah, I know. It's kind of sad. <laughs> well, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, um, is behind this podcast a bit as well, because I feel like not only do we sometimes isolate ourselves from pe- people who have different ideas, but we don't always talk across generations and we don't always understand, oh, this was why, what this generation went through and why they, you know, might be the way they are or think the way they are. So Tess, thank you so much. Like I so appreciate you coming on today and sharing a little bit 
very honestly and very raw about your experiences of being a baby boomer and just the way you think. Um, and it's been, yeah, really insightful. And just you, your compassion as well to some of the younger generations and the older generations before you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. I love people. Yeah. So I'm going to love younger and older. Yeah, that's how it is. Hi, Fiona here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the XYZ Experiment podcast. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. If you enjoyed our show, tell all your friends and family and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at the XYZ Experiment for all the latest updates and news. Our original music was composed and performed by Luke Champion. 